We have been discussing sort of Jesus' ascent into Jerusalem as we think about approaching uh, Good Friday and, and the Easter season and resurrection. We, we're kind of into the season of Lent, if you follow the church calendar. And so I thought it would be appropriate as we think about what it means to follow Jesus and to take up our cross and, and follow him. There, there's actually very few people in the Bible that Jesus asks us to emulate um, aside from himself, and this woman is somebody that I think we need to emulate in terms of what it means to follow Jesus and what discipleship looks like. Um, sort of in juxtaposition to his disciples and in juxtaposition to the Pharisees and kind of what we saw in Peter a couple of weeks ago. So this is uh, God's word to you today. This is in Matthew 26, 6 through 13. In the middle portion of this sermon, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke 7, which is the same story with just more detail, okay? But this is Matthew 6, verses 6 through 13. This is a beautiful story. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body... She has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we're going to ask God together. Uh, You pray silently. I'll pray with the mic. We'll sit in silence for a moment. What we're going to ask God is that he would show us, um, this doesn't have to be moralistic, doesn't have to be legalistic, uh, but that he would show us how to do a beautiful thing for him and what that means for our current time. So uh, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak now to your, to your dear people and that you would teach us that you always see us with fresh eyes, with eyes that are full of tenderness and grace and the voices that we hear on the outside or the voices internally are not the truest thing about us and the things that have happened to us or the things that we've done are not the truest thing about things about us or about our life or about our existence, but what is the deepest reality is that you have come, Lord, you have come to break yourself open for us. Um, You have come to to pour out so much goodness into the lives of human beings and then into the world through your people. And so would you do that now once again? Every every single morning we wake up, um, we have an opportunity to open up our eyes and see this kingdom that you have uh, brought into this world. And so would you do that again? Would you do it in fresh ways this morning? And specifically for those who are hurting and and grieving deeply, um, that you would fill that up in some small way over the next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen. 
So Jesus, what he's doing, he's holding this woman up as a way to help us process suffering, how to navigate suffering, how to, how to figure out what it is to do, what we're supposed to do with the ways in which we've been hurt in this life. And he's showing us um, what it means to take up our cross and, and follow him, specifically with the things that cause us pain in this world. And we're going we're gonna to look at what to do with suffering um, through sacredness, through, through brokenness, and through how Jesus can make it beautiful in the end. And so those, those will be the three uh, ways we'll look at this text. So first, Jesus shows us how to navigate suffering uh, through making it sacred. If you look at verses 6 and 7, um, what Matthew is doing, what, what do I mean by sacred? What Matthew is, has been doing from the beginning of uh, his, his uh, gospel here is that he's saying that what Jesus has done, this, this is what the gospel is, it's the announcement of God's kingdom coming into from heaven into the broken world through the person and work of Jesus in his life, suffering, death, and resurrection. And he's bringing that perfect world into earth, and he's mending it from the inside. And that's what he does with the human heart as well, that he comes into your life by the Holy Spirit, and then he begins to work renewal and, and healing from the inside out. And that kingdom uh, can't lose. It will always advance, and it has come in Jesus, and it will continue to come until his second return. And uh, how, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, how kingdoms transitioned in power is that they would take a flask of oil and pour it on your head. And you can look at, you can look at that in 1 Kings uh, or First Samuel 10 and 16 with the transition between Saul and David. And usually how it happened is that uh, a prophet or a mouthpiece of God would get the, uh, the word from the Lord that like, hey, this guy is the new king. And so the prophet would go over and pour the flask of oil on the new king's head. And then they would announce like, hey, there's been a change in the monarchy. And that would be the herald or the gospel in the Old Testament. And what, what's happening in our text today is that this woman is anointing Jesus in his kingship and saying, this is the new king. But the way it's different with her is that she knew that his kingship was going to look very, very, very different than conquering. And you see it in our text in verse 13. That when she pours oil on his head, and this is how she's different than Peter, her, her articulation of the gospel, she understands how it gets lived out in her life, that the gospel for Jesus means that he's going to be crucified. And what she does is that she says, this is special, this is sacred, and therefore I'm anointing Jesus, I'm blessing him with some very, very expensive ointment called nard. Now, um, nard was used for a lot of things in the ancient world, but uh, to be really frank, this is what many scholars have said, it was primarily used because people didn't smell that great in the ancient world. Um, they didn't have modern plumbing or running water. And so when you would go into the home of a person in the ancient Near East, like it was kind of stinky. 
And so this uh, nard was in a flask, and it had like a little uh, spout, um, and you would take a, a little bit of ointment because it was so powerful, and then you would, you would bless somebody as they came into your house because uh, it helped with, to mask the smell. Um, and this, this thing that uh, this woman has, it says in another gospel that it was the equivalent of about a year's worth of money that you could earn. And so you need to think in our, in our terms, like a very expensive car, like seventy dollars or $80,000 um, are those who make less or more, you know, depending, give or take. Um, but this was, this was a very, very expensive, costly thing that she owned. It was probably the most special thing that she owned, and we'll talk about why here in a little bit. And then she breaks that thing open and, and begins to pour it on Jesus. Now, um, when, I, uh, when I was sick a couple of months ago, I had been laid up in bed for, for a couple of days, and my son Lazarus, who's six years old, he came in and uh, he, he gave me his lovies. You know, does, I don't know if we have kids in here, but you know what lovies are, right? Well, his, his lovey is like this, what we call a little turtle blanket. And it comes from uh, a blanket that had turtles on it that we used to swaddle him in when he was an infant. And there's, you know, like one tiny little remnant left. And it is his, by far, his most treasured possession. And so he, he comes into my room and he can see that I'm hurting, and he can see that I need comfort, and so he gives me his treasured possession. And he's like, this will bring you comfort, you know, Dad. You can have, you can have my special thing. And uh, th- this woman knew that Jesus was about to enter great pain, and that he was eventually going to die. And so what does she do? She takes the thing that's most important to her, and she says, I want you to have this for what's about to happen to you. And we, we say all the time that this is, how, this is how our community, this is how we want our community to function, whether you're a Christian or not. The, the, gospel, the gospel changes us constantly. At all times, no matter if we're like super far along into being a Christian or it's our first day. And what we see with this, with this woman is that when, when she thinks about suffering, when she thinks about Jesus' suffering, she doesn't get in the way of it like Peter did a couple of weeks ago. But what she does, and I really want you to think about this with your own suffering, what she does is that she anoints it and says, this must happen. In fact, this is a very sacred, special thing that God is going to use. That is exactly what happened at Jesus' baptism, y'all. When he was baptized, what, what God was saying is that this is my special one who will endure the covenant curses that will come down on his head. And, and God says, listen to him, bless him, bring him your best stuff. Because what he's going to go through is going to be so, so terribly difficult. And so you need, to, you need to pay attention. And this woman is paying attention, unlike Simon. But to be clear, um, even though suffering is, is sacred and it's set apart, 
it was still all so very, very broken. And I've been, I've been uh, thinking about this um, quite a bit and experiencing it some with you guys this week. It's like sometimes when, when you suffer or terrible things happen, it just seems so, like when you're in it, it just seems so um, fragmented and, and tragic and senseless. Um, and I think that part of what this woman teaches is very, very valuable <laughs> in, in uh, more ways than just like how much the nard costs. She teaches us how to sit in brokenness and that there's so much value in and understanding how broken things are. And I really, I really want to turn to Luke 7. If you would turn to Luke 7, because Luke brings out more details on this point. It's the same story. But there was so much wrong with how this woman was being treated in society. Um, just like there's so much wrong with how you may have been treated in your family or in your community, that you can't really make sense of. It just seems senseless. And uh, as I've experienced small measures of suffering and pain in my own life, but more as the Lord has given me a front row seat at what y'all deal with and what God's people deal with throughout the world, um, there, there is, there is a, a sense in which when you go through something very hard, something tragic, I want to say this carefully because I don't want to speak for you. Um, you don't want God to just completely take it away, the pain. What you want is for it to have mattered and for somebody to be with you in it and for there to, to have some sort of thing heading for your future for all of the hardship that you endured whether it's losing a loved one or abuse that you've experienced or just the pain of living among people. There's this uh, movie called Calvary at the, the very beginning scene where this guy is in a confession booth with a priest and he's talking in great detail about how, how he was abused as, as sexually abused as a child by a priest. And he's talking to a priest as a grown man. And the priest says, as he's like hearing it, he's very overwhelmed with how terrible it was. And he, the priest just says, well, have, have you talked to anybody about this? And, he, and he's like, that's why I'm talking to you. He's, he's an Irish guy. And he's like, well, have, have you seen a therapist to, to cope with the pain? And he says, I, I don't want to cope. I don't want to cope. And that's what this woman knows intuitively. That there are things in life that have happened to you and that will happen to you, that like coping can't, you can't manage the pain. And she knows, as you know, that something must be broken in order for your own brokenness to be healed. That something has to be smashed in order for there to be some semblance of sanity to what you endure. That's what she knows. Now, what's, what's scary about somebody like that in the midst of a community that has broken her is that they're scary to be around because they do things that make all normal folks feel uncomfortable. <laughs> um, 
And she is in the home of this Pharisee, Simon. And she's exemplifying, this is what I love about her, she's exemplifying what it means to exist in the midst of a broken community and in the midst of your own broken past without the shame completely swallowing you. And she's just there, sitting in it. And that is so, so very, very vital. Now, some scholars think that uh, women who were prostitutes in the first century would wear these flasks around their neck so as to identify what line of work they were in so that you would recognize this is how this woman makes her living. So it was very important to her to have this flask of ointment. And you can hear it in Luke 7.39. The Pharisees actually say, if Jesus were a prophet, this guy was really a prophet, they would know what kind of woman she was, and he would not be letting her touch him, is what they say. And so Jesus tells them a parable. And he says, okay, Simon, I want to tell you a story. And he says, let's say... I owe you $50,000, and this other guy owes you $50, and you come to us and you say, you know what, I, I forgive, I forgive both of your debts. Which one is going to be happier that the debt was forgiven? And Simon says, well, the one with $50,000 that got forgiven. And Jesus says, yes, yes, that's correct. And then, and I want you to look at your text, Luke 7 Starting at verse 44, this is so very interesting. So he's talking to Simon, and then he turns to the woman. But he continues to talk to Simon. And he says, Simon, you see this woman? When I entered your house, you didn't give me water for my feet. When I I entered your house, you did not anoint my head with oil. And this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. And then he says... And this is, this is the point. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. This is where it comes home to roost for, for all of us. You've heard me say this many times from this pulpit, but to the degree that you believe God has loved you despite your sin will be the degree of love you have for God and other people. It is proportional. To the degree that you believe that God has shown mercy and kindness to your own brokenness will be the exact degree of mercy and kindness that you show to the brokenness of other people. You did not just hear me say that we are not supposed to hold people accountable. Forgiveness does not mean putting yourself in harm's way, but it does mean that from the heart, whose sin is bigger? Whose sin is larger? Who has the most debt, you or the other person? And what Jesus says is that this woman... She knows. She knows her own brokenness. And what that produces in the heart of a human being is a worshiper. 
<laughs> it's somebody who's holy. It's somebody actually, weirdly enough, somebody who actually enjoys to be in the presence of God. One of your elders, uh, Jason Moorhead, said a few weeks ago that there must be a reason why Jesus' scars still remain on his resurrected body. Why do you think that's the case? Why does Jesus, in his resurrected state, in his state of perfection that is impenetrable, has scars on his hands? Why? Matthew is showing you, Jesus is showing you, he did not come to help you cope with pain or manage it. He came to fill it up, to to pour his love into it. And, And when you are an open vessel for that, what happens is that you get poured out. You you break the best stuff that you have open and it gets poured into the world and into the life of other people. But to try to cope and to manage, this woman knows there ain't no coping with this. It's too broken. It's it's so broken. And to the degree that you are in touch with your own brokenness, Jesus is saying, my love, at that point, my love has the potential to make you a fragrant offering, which is the thing that Paul always referred to himself. as, like, I'm being poured out as a fragrant offering. I'm about to die. <laughs> but it's for the sake of the love of God. Here's the deal, y'all. Uh, most of us in this room, not all of us, but most of us are like Simon. We just don't know our own neediness. And we, we, think, we think that that's the more comfortable way to live. But ain't, ain't nobody like this woman who does extravagant things for Jesus. And you can just tell in the text, like, she's, it's beyond happy. Like, she's where it's at. She's what a human being looks like. At one with the Lord, opening herself up to the Lord. And what it looks like to other people who are more well-adjusted is like, that's waste. That's waste. You're, you're wasting all this money. It could be given to the poor. And Jesus says, you better stop. What she's doing is beautiful. Do not get in her way. And what I would encourage you, to, you guys to think about is when, when, we, uh, you know, when, when we experience the hardship in our life or when we experience the, the exposure of the sin in our lives, we, we think that that's gonna, it's going to be hard to remain faithful when that happens. Or we think if we're in like a hard environment that is like more attacking of Christianity, then, then like that's going to be more difficult to follow Jesus. But that's just simply not been my experience with you guys or myself or in Scripture. What hardship brings is this the revelation of what was already there. It reveals what was already deep in your soul and either pushes you further into the love of God or just reveals that you didn't think you needed him to begin with. And this woman knows what's up. She knows that life is broken, and my sacredness or my suffering is sacred unto the Lord because his suffering is sacred. And so, when those two things come together in the heart of a human being and it begins to get lived out, like you see in this woman, that's when a human being is prepared to offer something beautiful back to God. Um, 
verse 10 in the Matthew passage, back to Matthew 26, verse 10, Jesus says, Why do you trouble this woman about the cost? And he says, leave her alone because what she has done is beautiful. Some of you have seen the movie A River Runs Through It. And uh, there's a, a scene. I'm totally ruining this movie for you guys. So forgive me. It's been out a couple of decades now. So um, the, there's a brother named Paul um, who gets killed in like a bar fight. And his, his brother, Norman, is talking to his dad about Paul's death and the mystery of his life. And he's like trying to understand it. And Norman just says to his dad, he's like, I guess all that we can ever say about Paul was that he was a good fisherman. He was a great fly fisherman. And then his dad like looks off into the distance and smiles. And he's like, oh, you, you know more than that, Norman, about Paul. Paul was beautiful. And uh, it's easy to believe that because Paul was played by Brad Pitt. But um, when, when Jesus, what, what, I, what I love about this story is that Jesus, when he sees her, he's showing Simon, he's showing all of us, how to see people with new eyes. <laughs> you know, this woman was a sinner. She messed up. And that was the view of her from society. And at the same time, if you imagine living her life, imagine how much she probably, she probably was frustrated with herself. She probably didn't like herself all that much. And what Jesus is doing is that he's saying, look, I see you differently than how other people see you, and I see you differently than how you see yourself. And when he sees us, and I think this is what she intuitively believed, that he, he sees her with so much tenderness and care and love as if she was perfect in his eyes. When you actually believe that as a human being, that that's how God views you. That you're not the sum total of what other people think about you, about what you think about yourself or what you've done or not done. And, and you, you know that God views you as perfect. That's when you will give him anything. You'll give him anything. And that's what she does. She breaks that stuff open and she pours it on him. And Jesus says, uh, and he doesn't say this about anybody else, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, your story is going to be told. She is showing us what it means to be holy. And holiness has a bad rap. I want us to recover what holiness means. Holiness simply means that you find life in being near to God. That you desire to be near to God. And the way that you want to be near to God is that you really, really, really believe that like he, he adores you. He really does adore you. That he cannot get enough of you. That he always wants, he really likes you. He always wants to be around you. And when you know that the God of the universe is like that for you, you will pour out yourself for him that this is the healing gaze that we all need is, is to know that because of Jesus, God just really, really, really likes you. And that's when we can start enjoying him. 
There's a, a theologian, her name's Paige Brown. She says, and I want you to hear me carefully because this can get tricky, but it's an important distinction. Um, Jesus doesn't forgive sin. He forgives sinners. In fact, Jesus can't forgive sin because of his justice. And so this is how God saves people. Because he can't forgive sin, and yet he loves us, that's why Jesus came. He has to punish sin. So, the question is, as we come to a close, how can we do a beautiful thing uh, for Jesus? And again, that doesn't have to be moralistic. If you know Jesus' gaze on you is through the lens of perfection, because he is tender and gracious, um, I think, you know, when, when, we, when we think about what it means to follow Jesus, we want to be more than useful. Um, we we want to do something that really delights him. And uh, here's, here's where I want you to think about your life for a moment. Um, what is the thing in your life that you do that makes... It just makes your, your world feel manageable. Like, what is the thing that you bring, that you bring to the table that you, you know will bring you some sense of, of comfort? What is, <laughs> what is your lovey? Um, what is the way that you've found yourself to be useful to a community? What is the, what is the role that you play in your family? And look, y'all, God is going to require you to give that to him. He wants that. And he doesn't want that because he's selfish or cruel, but he wants to take that from you, and he invites you to give it to him because he wants you to know that he loves you without condition, that you don't need to bring that to him for him to love you. And when you actually believe that, you will do what this woman does. You will take the very best thing and you will break it open and pour it out to him. Take my life and let it be. Always, only, ever for thee. He wants you to know that he just simply enjoys you for who you are. And he wants that gospel to be poured out into a, a stinky world, <laughs> into, the, into a stinky human heart that, that always says, I earn what I get, I deserve to retaliate, I deserve to exclude people because those people are terrible. And Jesus just says simply, no, that is not the original design of the human heart. The original design of the human heart is perfectly seen in Jesus Christ, who is the only truly clean one, who entered this, this leprous world and he breaks himself open and pours it out. And so, so, so there's just grace upon grace without reservation. It's like so much wasted grace, it seems. It just goes everywhere because the gospel is so abundant. So much grace that it just looks wasteful. So much grace that it covers the most wicked things that a human being could do. And there's always room for one more to share it for any who would believe in him. 
And so my question is, whether we're a Christian or not, why would you not come to a king like that? You can't lose with him. That when you're, when you're suffering gets intertwined with Jesus Christ. Um, he sets it apart as sacred. He lets you sit in the brokenness. And, and what he says is, I'm turning something beautiful into all that you've been through, so much so that it will look more beautiful than if nothing bad had ever happened in your life. Like that, that's the gospel of working evil against itself working your sin against itself so that you come out better than if nothing bad had ever happened. And by the way, that's, uh, that's the, the meaning of the word redemption, which is what our church is named after, that God buys back that which was broken, makes it more beautiful in the end. Um, that's what it means to follow Jesus, to do what this woman did. Um, to break yourself open in the best way and pour it out to him. And so let's, uh, let's pray for, for each other and for our community uh, that God would, would be with us as we seek to do that. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness, and we ask that as you uh, break us open, either against our will or, uh, or with our will, um, that you would bring many many into contact with Jesus Christ. Um, and in, in very deep ways right now, those of us who've, who've confessed your name for, for quite a while, um, that we would know that our suffering is not in vain, that it's not meaningless, and that you will restore and redeem and renew. Um, and that it's okay to be where we are. It's okay to be exactly where we are with you but you're going to move us to yourself like this woman. And so be with us as we confess sin that we would find that we really are a delight to you. In Christ's name, amen.